By the end of the week, you know, I now am told that I have to bring two kilograms of narcotics back over the border with him. And I just did it because I wanted to go home because he said he already told these people that I was doing it and like, I didn't want to mess with them. And so I was just, I was scared, but I also just put on a, a good front because I just wanted to go home. Welcome back to the Will Nowwood podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. I want to start off by saying happy International Women's Day to all my female identifying listeners out there. And I figured what better guest than to have than Emily O'Brien. I actually interviewed Emily earlier last year, but I'm finally getting around to publishing this episode. And I'm really excited about this episode because yes, you read the title correctly. She did start a business while in prison. She's got a really inspiring story. So let's get straight into it. I'm here with the lovely Emily O'Brien. Emily makes popcorn so good, it's criminal, and she would know as she started her business while still in prison. In 2015, Emily was arrested for drug smuggling and was handed a four-year sentence. But in prison, she found inspiration for a new company, and that's when she launched Comeback Snacks. And Comeback Snacks provides reintegration opportunities and second chances for people who have difficulty finding meaningful employment opportunities when they're released from prison. Emily, I'm so excited to hear all about your story, but before we get into Comeback Snacks, I'm curious to know what your early 20s were like what was your university experience like um so I went to the University of Guelph I had an absolute riot I like didn't want to leave (laughs) (laughs) and when I I was in the international development program and this was um kind of encouraged by a number of like volunteer trips that I did like uh in high school and I really just loved the feeling of of helping others um while also get to experience getting to experience other cultures. I really think traveling when you're young and just, you know, tackling the unknown is a great learning experience. And it also like makes us more prepared for like the outside world, I think. Um, And it just helps us really understand the privilege that we really do have um, here in Canada uh, and well, North America really. And so, yeah, I was like, I want to work in international development. I want to work with nonprofits. I, I just love the energy that I cultivated when I was in these other countries and just seeing how appreciative other people were. So, uh, four years at Guelph turned into five because I, um, I always worked. I always had a job. I like always just loved being able to pay for things and afford things. And I also liked to have a social life and I also liked to volunteer. So my university experience was like a combination of academia, volunteering, working, and it was, it was awesome. And I, I organized fundraisers and, so just kind of building my portfolio of skills, um, not only and not only just my education, really helped um, me kind of figure out what I was good at, and also helped me like be more ready for the job market. Because often when you graduate university, like you're like, okay, like now, now literally, what do I do, right? And and you know, employers are always asking for you know what what's your experience, and I actually could, even though they weren't paid experiences, like I I really learned a lot, like in in school, um, when I was volunteering. So when I, um, graduated, I, I knew I wanted to eventually pursue a master's degree or some sort sort of post-education. And so I made sure that my grades were like really good for third and fourth year, not in first and second year. I was (laughs) way too busy, um, socializing, (laughs) socializing, let's call it. And so I managed to pull up my grades and then I graduated with, uh, with honors. And part of my program really encouraged, traveling abroad as part of your degree and throughout school I really had um, I always took trips over like purses or clothes you know so like for my birthday I'd be like okay just give me like 500 bucks towards a plane ticket or something like that so 
throughout school, I did like shorter trips. And then once I was ready to graduate, I was kind of planning where I want to go and what kind of work I wanted to do. Yeah. And then, and then you um, founded a marketing agency shortly after. So how did that come about and how did you kind of get your first clients? So because I worked in marketing all all throughout school, like even during the summers, I lived out West and I was like a car girl. So I got very familiar with the customer service field. And I, and I really liked it. It was kind of like, not like a game to me, but it was just like kind of playful. And, and I felt like I could just like be myself, you know? So I knew that I was good at, at, at talking to people, but I also knew that I was good at telling stories. And I was, I knew that I was good at this because throughout my travel travels, I'd like, you know, often shared photos and people really liked like the feeling that the photos gave them. And so I was like, okay, well, social media is really big right now. And people loved what I did with, with my feed because it wasn't like all about, you know, bikini shots. It was more, it was wholesome and fun and it didn't like make people feel like they weren't good enough. So, um, I was like, maybe I should do this for other people too. Cause I knew I wanted to be like, I wanted to try entrepreneurship because working in corporate and like having to be somewhere at nine and working for someone else's dream, like just wasn't like, I knew I was getting good skills. So I, I stuck it out for a bit and I knew that's what you had to do to kind of get experience. But I knew that I, I had this drive and this fire in me. And so that's why I, I started my own uh, social media company in Toronto in uh, 2013. Yeah. So about a year and a half after I graduated. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And then do you mind kind of sharing your story? It'll get us in the nutshell of mm-hmm. what had happened, um, how you got into the, like, the wrong crowd of people and um, yeah, what, what's the story there? How did that happen? Yeah. So often like we hear this term wrong crowd of people, but sometimes mm-hmm. the wrong crowd of people, you don't know they're the wrong crowd until it's too late. At the time. Yeah. And, and that's what makes them so good at what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I had a very, very active social life. Like I, I went out, you know, I built a lot of business that way. And there's also like a lot of drinking involved. And then there was like some drug use that would go on and, you know, cocaine is not like this like big, scary drug. It's like literally everywhere. It's not unusual at all to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) see it at a house party or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like I was hiding what I was doing. It was, it was everywhere. Right. And, but pretty soon, um, something happened in my family and then, you know, we kind of got pulled apart and I didn't know how to handle that. And, you know, I know that people say, Oh, like you could have been, you're old enough. And it's like, well, you're never too old enough to feel hurt when you see your loved one's hurt. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. where my pain was kind of coming from. And I also felt embarrassed being sad about it. So I just kind of turned to to more substances. And that's when my celebratory use turned to like medicating. Um, And that's kind of when I let people into my life that I didn't even know. And this one guy that I met through my work, you know, we'd actually known each other for six months. Um, He wasn't like criminal. He was like a normal guy. He didn't have a record. You know, he was, he didn't have like, I don't know, like, all those stereotypical things that you think when you think of like someone that's a bad person, like he wasn't like that at all. And he was really, really kind. And, you know, I thought we'd kind of developed this like casual relationship. It wasn't like romantic per se, but it was just like a very, very close friendship, but we kind of were dating, but not, it was weird. I don't know. Like, but you know, when you just like love someone, but like, there's not really like the sexual component, but there's just like a love for them. So that's kind of how that was. And, um, over time, like his, checks started bouncing that he owed me and then I was starting to get pissed off at him and I was about to cut him off and then he um asked to go on a trip with me and he's like he's like sorry for all this like bs and you know he's like I really want you to stop drinking and stuff too like I want you to kind of get through this situation and I want to just take you away and you know it's like oh cool quick escape that sounds good and 
he actually asked me too at my house. He's like, Oh, but I have to do some, I have to do some work when I'm down there. I have to bring like drugs back. And he's like, you can do it too. And I was like, okay, absolutely not. And that's when I felt like he was just using me the whole time. Cause he knew that I was a free spirit. Like I traveled everywhere. You know, I, you know, I was just like a playful, like fun kind of girl. And, you know, so I guess he thought that I'd be willing to do something dangerous like that. And I, I wasn't at all. So I said, absolutely not. And he left my apartment that day, but then he came back. Um, or so he didn't come back. He texted me at night and he's like, listen, I'm so sorry. Like, I feel like such an idiot for, uh, for even bringing this up. Like, what was I thinking? Let's just go on this trip, me and you. And like, there'll be none of that. Like, don't worry. Like, let's just do it. He's like, I'm sorry. I even suggested it. And I believed him and we get down on this trip and three days in, I find out that, you know, I'm actually there to work and it's, I'm not all there for fun and games. I have to get in the car. Um, by the end of the week, you know, I now am told that I have to bring two kilograms of narcotics back over the border with him. And I just did it because I wanted to go home because he said he already told these people that I was doing it and like, I didn't want to mess with them. And um, so I was just, I was scared, but I also just put on a, a good front because I just wanted to go home. So even though I knew I was going to be bad at it, I still gave it my best effort. And I told him too, I was like, I'm going to be horrible at this. Like absolutely horrible. Like I'm not a good actress. Like I've never done this before. I've traveled a lot, but I cannot lie. Like I can't lie to a border agent. Like they already make you feel like you're doing something bad when you're not. So it's like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> how, am how am I going to manage to do this? And um, so he's like, okay, like I'll take the drugs off you when we land at Pearson just to like calm me down. And so this like gave me a little bit of reassurance. But then when we landed at Pearson, he said it was too late. And that's, so that's when I was just like pissed and my loyalty to him ended there, but my loyalty to the task at hand did not. And I still felt that like I should do my best to complete the task because I didn't want to be responsible for sabotaging an operation where I was holding a lot of narcotics that had a very high street value. And if I deliberately sabotaged the operation, then that could be my, that would be my fault. And that, that to me was even more dangerous. So I made the you know, unfortunately, the other decision, which was to just go through with it. And I was questioned and eventually put, you know, I didn't, I said, yeah, I have drugs on me and, you know, got arrested and two and a half years later, put in prison. So. Wow. That is quite a journey. And just with the healing comes with like accountability, apologies and patience. And like, do you remember your first night in prison? What were you thinking? Did you think like, this is it for me? Like my career, everything else is just kind of down the drain or what were you thinking? Um, when I initially got arrested, like I was just in a holding cell and I thought everything was going to be fine. You know, mm -hmm. I just thought I had explained to do and that like, you know, he said, if anything went wrong, like he would handle it or whatever. Um, so uh, I was still very ignorant at the first time I got arrested. But then when I found out I was going to prison, I definitely saw it as an inconvenience. And I was like, no, like I spent a lot of time playing like the victim role and surrounding myself with people who helped me, you know, reconfirm this identity that, you know, it was his fault and he like, manipulated me like sure there was manipulation involved a hundred percent like I didn't organize this but I also could have taken steps to kind of address what was going on internally like I was having like an internal pandemic right so that's kind of where, where my downfall was and so I knew that the first step to healing and getting through this was by abandoning the blame that I placed on him and taking responsibility for the actions that I was going to do to kind of to change and to you know start helping my family heal because I made them upend their lives. And a lot of people don't have that love. A lot of people's parents would have just left them there if they even had parents at all. And so um, I knew that like they believed in me so much and I believed in me. And so I, uh, when I got to prison, my first night was, was I was ready. 
You know, I was mm-hmm. kind of excited in a way. Like I wasn't scared because I knew that if I could go to prison for that, then other people in here must be just like me. And I'm, I'm here to learn and I'm here to heal. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to be isolated from everything that got me there in the first place. Right. So I was, I was ready to be away from the drinking and, and the scene, you know, I needed like a clean, clean break and I needed time to just sit and think and to kind of figure out where I was going to go from there. I didn't know where, but that idea came a couple months later. Yeah. I was going to say, so how did you kind of start making the popcorn? Did you have like a weekly allowance? Was there a kitchen? Like kind of paint me the picture of what was there. Sure. So in um, women's federal prison, we are, we live in houses. Like if you're a medium or minimum security inmate, and that's like what I was, cause I was very low risk. They're like, oh, this girl's not going anywhere. So, <laughs> um, so we lived in a house and we had a weekly food allowance. And then we also had access to, um, like a, a canteen list. So like that had like snacks and other things on it. And so I would buy popcorn kernels off the canteen and then season it with like different spices off the food menu. And we were kind of all making popcorn one day. It was like a Super Bowl thing and people were making like chicken and chip, like cupcakes. And then this one girl was making a, a bowl and it had like lemon pepper and dill on it, like a seasoning. And I was like, this is actually so good. And it was healthier. And I was looking to eat healthy in there because I had struggled with an eating disorder in the past and I didn't want that to kind of resurface. So I was looking for like healthier alternatives because often when you have an eating disorder and you're bored, that can trigger symptoms, right? So um, I really didn't want to fall back into that. And so I was, I was like, oh my God, this, this is popcorn and it's good and it's healthy. And I began to think of how popcorn brought people together in prison, like food in general did. And it like showcased creativity and it showcased resilience and it kind of made people forget where they were. And then I began to think about the commercial side and I was like, okay, well, I know I'm creative and I know that I'm not going to let this story ruin the rest of my life. I'm going to let this story shape the rest of my life. And by taking accountability to the story and sharing it, that's when I, I knew that I could put like the popcorn into that narrative and turn it into like a social enterprise where I could have a popcorn business because I'd had businesses before. I knew that I was good at marketing and sales and, and social media and PR and all these things. And so I found a, a friend of mine. He actually helped me like build a website um, while I was still in prison and we did market research. Like we looked over their companies and, and food trends um, just while I was still in prison, I would like look up stuff and uh, he would mail me stuff. And so it was created from the inside out really. So just the process alone was really interesting to see like what you can do when you're in prison. And like, when we think we're so limited, even like right now, it's like, okay, you're never really like that limited. Like you, you think you are because you're like, you know, smothered in technology and things all the time. So when those, these things are taken away, you feel helpless. If you just rely on, on yourself and like your, your own creativity and like people around you, you can actually harness some of the most authentic and I don't know, like just full of substance creativity like you ever have. And that's exactly kind of what I did. And as soon as I got out, I kind of like went full speed ahead and, and launched it. And now um, we're kind of like, we're talking with distributors now, like it started as very small and one pot. And now it's like, we ship all over North America and I hire, I hire people that have either been incarcerated or have had problems with, you know, the law in general or like mental health issues or. Just popping in to say that if you like this episode, please follow me on Instagram at well now what podcast. And if you have the time, leave a review on Apple review and that would really help other people find my podcast. Let's get back to the interview. 
uh, drug and substance abuse issues. So it's, um, it's, it's really about the hiring practices and what we fight for that makes us more than a popcorn company. So, right. Yeah. And did you notice, cause like the corporate role, corporate world and like the working industry doesn't really understand that people coming out of prison, there's not much way to prepare them to come back into society. So did you find that there was difficulties for maybe yourself or other people to like find a job afterwards? Yeah, a hundred percent. It was also, it wasn't about finding a job. It was about finding the confidence to go and get one because a lot of the time when you're in prison, you're just told like how bad of a person you are, you know, all you, all you get is these reports about, you know, your behavior and like, you know, if you do one little thing wrong, it's like, oh, you get this incident report. It's never like this is what you're good at. They don't try to help you find skills and help you build your confidence again. And that lack of support and confidence building and showcasing of skills and highlighting of skills is really what's needed. And then from like an employer standpoint, there needs to be more employers that kind of see that and look past former transgressions. Um, Because often people that go through very adverse situations are often like can be often the strongest employees. Mm -hmm. So how do you think we should kind of change that mindset? And there seems to be like a fixed mindset of what like a former convict should be. And Mm -hmm. so if we're able to kind of change that conversation and maybe there'd be more opportunities. So what, what would you think are like the best bets or next steps that we should do for like on the, for like the working industry side? I think from an HR standpoint, I think there needs to be less blanket policies you know, obviously some, some companies are going to have very, I would say like pretty particular like jobs where, you know, it just doesn't fit and that's okay. But I think the most companies, they just don't hire anyone with, with a record. Right. So they're not really willing to give anyone a chance or they're not willing to give them jobs that are higher than minimum wage. So I don't know about you, but like, I don't feel very good when all I work is, is, is all I get is like, I'm treated like I'm the minimum value. Right. So even at, at Comeback Snacks, like we pay a, a fair wage because often a lot of times people in prison, it's because of financial reasons. So if we want to help rebuild their life, we have to help pay them something more where they can like, A, you know, make back the money that they have. Uh, they spent on lawyers um, because uh, they were out of work um, for childcare when they're in prison. All these costs that have accumulated over time. Um, it just kind of brings people more and more deeper into the hole. So I think, yeah. Employers need to be number one more um, open, and this is this is um, this isn't like something that's brand new. Like, like companies mm-hmm. have definitely been starting to do it. So I just wanted to I wanted to run one that did it, and because I wanted to be a female that ran one uh, that focused, you know, on all on all former inmates, but also more particularly on women because um, women are often are quiet about like you know their their past, and there's more shame if you're like a woman and like they don't want their families to know and stuff like that. So I wanted to have a safe work environment for them and and a place where they can like feel loved. Mm -hmm. No, that's incredible. And how has it, how has it been with the growth of your company? Like I assume at the beginning, just like getting funding must've been difficult. So what has it been like the last few years? Um, We like bootstrapped it all. So I, because I knew that I was going to share the story, I I knew that I was going to share it for like, you know, just for my own transparency and to try and, and help others understand. I was not expecting the amount of community support that came along with that What in terms of the business. Like I got donations. I got, you know, people would give me like, someone bought me my first popcorn popper. Like 
Um, this print company gave me like $2,000 for some free printing. You know, people would give us um, booths at events for free, um, markets, like they'd be like, come to this event. Like, we don't, like, and so it was just, it was amazing. Like I had even strangers sending me money. Like they're like, I want you to be part of my legacy. Like it was crazy. So we actually didn't get money from anyone. Um, but I also worked like, I don't, oh, I don't want to call it working. I also like lived cause it was like my life like mm-hmm. every day. And I would, mm-hmm. I put a lot of energy into going to these events and being present because when you have an energy that that's like mine, that that's real, like people can feel it. Um, so that would often also help. And, you know, I could answer questions because a lot of the time people just want to know more. Um, and th- there's always going to be people that, that won't change, but when you can break it down to like human emotions and decision-making, everyone can relate to that. So it's all just about breaking it down. It's not about being a criminal and going to prison. It's all about how we really make decisions and what we do when we are in, in distress and in despair. Yeah, totally. So you've built such a big community now. And do you think it's the, your community that makes you stand out against all the other um, like snack companies out there? I think it's the community. Yeah. And then like the work, the work that we've done, you know, it's, it's not just about the popcorn. It's more about like, yeah, teaching, teaching people skills, um, you know, working with other nonprofits, working with organizations that work with prisons. Um, So we are just affiliated with like hundreds and hundreds of organizations. Right. And um, it's just so interesting to see how, how many areas this kind of situation can actually relate to, you know, which, which is awesome. It can relate to like, you know, parenting, right. It can relate to like faith. It can relate to mental illness. It can relate to entrepreneurship. It can relate to women, women in business. Um, it can relate to stigma, right? Like the list goes on and on. So just, um, being present at all those places and never like, you know, I just always, I always try to find common ground within an organization. And I usually say yes, because there's always a way to make it relatable. And yeah, what's, what would be your biggest challenge now as, as a female entrepreneur? Oh my gosh, time. I wish there was more of it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. you're always running around. You've got so much going on. Like, what do you, what do you usually do day to day? Um, I'm usually in my car <laughs> doing <laughs> deliveries. Um, booking meetings, um, talking to lovely people like yourself and helping to build the community and share the message. So um, no one day is the same. And that's what I love. It's like the randomness of my life that just keeps me going. Like I'll never be stagnant until I'm like six feet under. So um, yeah, I just think like, it's like positive volatility, you know, it's like, it's good because it's so exciting. And I meet so many people all the time. And when I can see someone like actually understand the similarities between my life and theirs, that's when you're like creating change. Right. So, you know, no one ever thinks like they would ever go, go to like prison, but people can relate to making terrible decisions under times of uncertainty. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed that you guys have recently rebranded your snacks yeah. with a new website, new name and everything. So why, why the change? Why the rebrand? Well, we started out as cons and kernels. And uh, the reason that we had that name was because I took, I did a survey um, with the inmates. So I really got them involved in this project and I was kind of like using my university skills, right. I was using my research skills. I was like using, like I was conducting a survey and like telling, you know what I mean? So getting this data. Um, and then, yeah, like I just, uh, after the first year I was like, okay, cons and kernels is so, it kind of alienates people. Like that was good. It was fun in the beginning, but now we're so much more than that. And it's hard to be relatable when you alienate yourself as a brand. So I thought, 
me and my business partner, we kind of debated and we're like, well, where are we right now? It's like, well, and people started calling me the comeback kid and, you know, Toronto Sun, comeback kid, comeback kid. And we're like, why don't we call it comeback snacks? Cause like that's, we proved it. You know, the best way to eradicate stigma is honestly through proof. So, um, that's kind of why we, we made the name change and, um, and just to help people or like people that wanted to work with us, like, I want them to know that they're more than just a con with some kernels, you know? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to like perpetuate any negative stereotypes too. So it's kind of like those reasons. Of course. And yeah, it just has I a love, great ring to it. It does. I love, I love the name and I love the new branding. It's really nice. It really stands out. Thanks. <laughs> um, and I just had a last question. So if someone were at rock bottom, let's say, and what are some things that you would suggest that they should change to have a better life or what message would you have for them? Um, obviously it takes time and that's oh, like I'm going to read, steps. I'm going to read my, uh, comeback acrostic poem. Ooh, please do. <laughs> Number one is you have to commit, commit to what you're doing, commit to change. Number two is take ownership. So stop playing the blame game. I know it's like everywhere these days, like, you know, all you see, like sometimes we think all we see is like people complaining and how this is, and that isn't fair, but there are circumstances where yes, some things aren't fair and things aren't right, but we still have to take ownership of our own actions. Um, moral, be a good moral person, be true to your word and, and never stop. And, uh, the E is educate. So, um, help others learn and learn yourself, like keep an open mind. Uh, B is believe, believe in yourself and the ability of others. Um, the A is accountability. So that kind of goes with, um, taking ownership and C is courage so it's uh you know it's not a one-day thing it's gonna take days weeks years right like this this is like this is like four years now right and I feel like I'm just getting started so um K is kindness so just never think you're too good enough for anyone and always give people um the chance to communicate with you I mean unless they're being rude but no (laughs) (laughs) and then sincerity and just like be honest in what you're doing and when you're honest and raw like that's when you do your best work mm-hmm. so yeah well thank you so much for your time it was so great hearing about your story um especially that you're also canadian um i love interviewing canadians but hearing oh. about your journey was honestly like it's very very inspiring and i can't wait to um, share it with my community and that was emily o'brien i'll be leaving all her links in the show notes as well as where you can find comeback snacks So if you like this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts that really helps me out and helps other people find the podcast. So I'll see you next week.